Grace be to you and peace from God our Father and our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. Our text for meditation this evening is written in Matthew's Gospel, chapter 2, verses 13 to 18. When they had gone, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream. Get up, he said. Take the child and his mother and escape to Egypt. Stay there until I tell you, for Herod is going to search for the child to kill him. So he got up, took the child and his mother during the night, and left for Egypt, where he stayed until the death of Herod. And so was fulfilled what the Lord had said through the prophet, Out of Egypt I called my son. When Herod realized that he had been outwitted by the Magi, he was furious. He gave orders to kill all the boys in Bethlehem and its vicinity who were two years old and under in accordance with the time he had learned from the Magi. Then what was said through the prophet Jeremiah was fulfilled. A voice is heard in Ramah, weeping and great mourning, Rachel weeping for her children and refusing to be comforted because they are no more. This is our text. Let us pray. Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts be pleasing in your sight and give honor and glory to your name, our rock and redeemer. Amen. Dear friends in Christ, O little town of Bethlehem, how still we see thee lie. Above thy deep and dreamless sleep, the silent stars go by. Doesn't that just sound so comforting, so peaceful, so serene? Serene and untroubled, right? We just sang those very words a week ago, Christmas Eve. I'm sure you did sing those words, didn't you? But how do you go from that? How do you go from the peaceful serenity of Bethlehem, the silent stars going by, to the chaos of this? Murderous thugs slaughtering little boys. Well, I think you know how you go from calm and quiet to chaos. It's simple. You just look around you at the world in which we live. As much as we would love to, to live undisturbed in a Christmas card world, that's not reality. The reality is we live in a fallen world, a broken world, a, a world filled with violence and, and tyranny and death. To be sure, the events recorded in our text for this evening are troubling. The slaughter of innocent boys is horrible. We would prefer that these things never happened. 
we would prefer not to focus on these things, especially on a night of, of New Year's Eve with all the potential of the coming year, all the hope. But here it is. It was Martin Luther's opinion that this account, the slaughter of the, the holy innocence of Bethlehem, that it should not be permitted to disappear from the church's public worship for any reason, ever. This event is emblematic of, of the kind of world into which Jesus came. Jesus came for all who are destined to die. Sometime after Jesus arrived in that stable in Bethlehem, perhaps a few weeks, perhaps a, a few months, we don't know, but Magi from the east arrived there for a visit. Mary and Joseph and the newborn Christ had taken up residence in a house somewhere in, in Bethlehem, and guided by a star and by God's word of prophecy, the Magi came to where they were. And when they saw the Christ child, they worshipped him. But they had been sent there with a commission from King Herod. Herod had charged them with finding the Christ child and then immediately to report to him where that child was so that, as he said, he could go there and worship him too. Well, the Magi were warned in a dream not to return to Herod. God knew what Herod's intention was, even though the Magi did not know. So they returned to their home country by another route. God, of course, knows all things. He knew exactly what Herod would do and how he would react once he realized that he had been outwitted by the Magi. And so God sent an angel in a dream to Joseph. Get up, take the child and his mother and escape to Egypt. Stay there until I tell you, for Herod is going to search for the child to kill him. This petty vassal king couldn't bear the thought of another king ruling over Israel. Jesus, of course, posed no threat to Herod's reign. That was not the kind of kingdom he had come to establish. That was not what he had come to do. But that didn't matter. In Herod's estimation, the Christ child had to be destroyed. He had to be eliminated. In an effort to cast a wide enough net to catch the Christ child in it, Herod gave orders to kill all the boys in Bethlehem and its vicinity who were two years old and under well, his futile effort 
was unsuccessful in catching up the Christ, but he did succeed in murdering innocent baby boys. God's Word had foretold that these boys would die. They were destined to die. The prophet Jeremiah had foreseen it. A voice is heard in Ramah, weeping and great mourning. Rachel weeping for her children and refusing to be comforted because they are no more. When Jeremiah spoke those words of prophecy originally, they, they found an immediate fulfillment in, in, in the year 586 B.C. when the children of Israel, along with their parents, were, were carted off, carried off into exile in Babylon. They were taken away. But those very words, more specifically, were, well, in fulfillment or applied to the boys of Bethlehem who would die at the hands of a tyrant. But let's be clear. Even though those babies, even though those boys were destined to die, they were under God's grace. The Lord took them out of this world before they could long suffer the, well, the things that we all suffer being in this world. They were taken to his heavenly throne where they gather. Even now, they're there with Jesus before God, living with him, redeemed by him. Those boys, too, will rise again one day. In fact, Jeremiah's prophecy would go on to speak of that very thing. He continues with with these words in, in Jeremiah chapter 31. This is what the Lord says. Restrain your voice from weeping and your eyes from tears, for your work will be rewarded, declares the Lord. They will return from the land of the enemy. So there is hope for your future, declares the Lord. Your children will return to their own land. The only way those boys or any one of us can have a future hope is because Jesus came and accomplished everything that he came to do. But what he came to do did not come easily. The angel Gabriel, when he appeared to Mary, had told her, the Lord is with you. Do not be afraid. You have found favor with God. And the angel that appeared to Joseph said, do not be afraid to take Mary home to be your wife. Both of them were encouraged not to be afraid, and yet Mary and Joseph could not have imagined how their life would be turned upside down, the kind of trouble that they would encounter because they were given this task of parenting 
God's own son. First, the unplanned trip to Bethlehem, and then the less than comfortable accommodations for the birth of the, of the child, and finally having to be, well, fleeing by night to Egypt to escape Herod's wrath. And yet all these things, in all these things, God was with them, watching over them, guarding them, guiding them, protecting his son so that his son could accomplish everything that he came to do. Jesus came for all who are destined to die. That, of course, included the boys of Bethlehem, but it also includes you and me. As St. Paul says, death came to all because all sinned. Death is part and parcel of our sinful human condition, isn't it? But Jesus came to rescue those who are destined to die. He came to rescue us from death and to redeem us and to bring us into eternal life. He came with a mission. He came with a mission to live a a perfect life, a life in complete agreement with and, and full obedience to God's perfect law, a life of perfect humility in service to sinful human beings like us. He came to bring a life of perfect love and to call you and me into his family, to call us to himself, to bring us to himself through faith, and to secure us there as his very own, redeemed for eternal life. Jesus came to lay down his life, but on his own terms, not on Herod's terms, not on Herod's timetable. No, Herod was a tool of Satan. Satan would have loved nothing more than for Jesus to be snuffed out in infancy. But God would not allow that to happen. No. No one would take Jesus' life from him. He would give up his life, but it would be freely given on his timetable. And it would not be relinquished except from the cross, and only once he had paid for all the sins of all the sinners of all the world, only then would he lay down his life. Only then could he breathe his last. And he did. Having paid for your sins and mine, he could say, it is finished And having laid down his life, Jesus would take it up again. Three days later, 
On Easter Sunday, he rose again victorious over sin and death and the devil. He lives eternally, never again to die. And he has won life for you and for me and for all. As we reflect on the past year and the new year ahead, we do so mindful of our failings, our weaknesses, our sins. Yet, we confess with the psalmist, if you, O Lord, kept a record of sin, O Lord, who could stand? But with you there is forgiveness. That's our confidence. On a day like today, on every day, that's our confidence. We have a God who loves, a God who graciously supplies forgiveness of sins, a God who has won salvation for us, who has paid our debt in full, has wiped out the penalty that you and I deserve to pay, and has opened up heaven to us. That's the confidence we have on a day when we enter into a new year. Every day, every day is a precious gift. A few moments ago, we sang these words, Rejoice! With thanks embrace another year of grace. Indeed, every year that God blesses us with is a year of his grace. Every day that he gives us is precious. Do we recognize that as often as we should? Probably not. But every year that he gives us is one more year where we can draw closer to him day by day. Each day that he gives us is a day that we can spend thinking on his love for us, meditating on his word, being strengthened in that word to continue our life, serving him, loving him, and loving one another. He's given us this great blessing. And as long as you and I live and breathe, we have opportunities to serve our God. We have opportunities to meditate on his word and grow by the strength that that word provides so that we can live our lives to his glory, so that we can open our mouths and testify as to who he is and what he has done and who he has made us to be. And also testify to the place he has in store for us. What will this new year bring? Sorrow, trouble, hardship, most likely it will, but also joy, joy and countless blessings. Jesus came for all who are destined to die and redeemed us all for himself. He came for you and me who are destined to die and gives us life. In fact, he says to us, whoever lives and believes in me will never die. That's his promise. 
What will this new year bring? Well, might it bring death for you or someone you love? That is in God's hands, isn't it? You and I don't know, but death is inevitable for all of us. And yet we can face that grim prospect with joy in our heart and the confidence that says, Lord, whether I live or whether I die, I belong to you. Blessed be the name of the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth, who has made you and me fit for his kingdom by the blood of our Savior, Jesus Christ. We have a future. Not just this new year, but every new year, every single day of every new year that he allows us to breathe. And we have an eternal future with him in heaven. Whenever that day comes that he calls us to himself. God bless you each and every day with that truth and in that confidence. Amen.